So welcome everyone. This is a talk I'm giving on behalf of, of CARE, where I work in, in Westminster. We're involved in seeing politics renewed and, and lives transformed, and there'll be a QR code on the slides if you want to find out, find out more. Just before we dive into the talk, I thought I'd give a couple of updates on the political situation and various things happening in Parliament at the moment. Uh, the first one is around the conversion therapy bill. So the government has ummed and ahed about this for a few years now. Uh, they decided not to include it in the King's Speech, their legis legislative program for the year, but it ended up being introduced as a private member's bill in the House of Lords. And then another separate conversion therapy bill has been put forward by a Labour MP in the Commons. Um, now, at CARE, we agree, any practices that seek to force someone to change their sexuality, that they're, they're cruel, the very, the very kind of antithesis of the Christian message. And where such practices have occurred, we, we rightly condemn them. But that's not what these bills are about. They're about preventing conversations, prayer, even sometimes sermons that want to help people struggling with their sexual identity or, or gender. And it's being spun that some of the bills being put forward in, in Parliament provide protection for genuine religious practices, but that's not the case. There's nothing in the way they've been written that would provide any kind of protection for Christian teaching. So if the laws were passed as they stand now, it would restrict our Christian freedom to preach on sexual ethics, on sin and repentance, as well as our freedom to pray and to advise, to counsel, or even to parents. Now, the good news is that the two bills put forward are unlikely to become law, because private members' bills rarely do, and because of parliamentary time before the general election. But what it's doing is continuing to ramp up the pressure on this topic and push a narrative that's designed to sway public opinion. So we're not particularly worried that these bills will become law, but it's more about the, the public conversation around them. So we would value your prayers on that topic. And the, the other one that's, uh, the other big topic in the news this week is the online safety bill. So it was passed a couple of months ago. It's a, a big thing that CARE was massively involved in. And, and the idea is it introduces much stricter age verification checks uh, for under 18s viewing pornography online. And the next big question is around enforcement. And this week, Ofcom have begun their consultation on what they say is how to have highly effective age, check, age checks to stop children accessing online porn services. So we're really looking to Ofcom now to kind of bring the teeth to the bill that's been passed by Parliament. Um, so do pray for Ofcom as they look to implement this new law in the right way. That's a couple of things we're working on. But now what we're going to do for the rest of our time is look at the topic of human dignity through a biblical lens. And this is something that's really on our hearts at CARE, and it's on God's heart, according to the Bible. So in 1948, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was written. 75 years ago today, I think that's really cool, 10th of December 1948, it was proclaimed at the UN General Assembly in Paris. And article number one, the most important article of the UN Declaration of Human Rights, says this. All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. So saying everyone is equal 
in dignity, whoever you are, all human beings. And as Christians, we say yes and amen. We, we love that. But this declaration of human rights didn't give dignity to anyone. It's not that before it was written, 76 years ago, humans didn't have dignity, and, and then as of that day, suddenly we did. No, it's describing, isn't it, what's already true. All human beings are equal in dignity. So if not from this document, where does dignity come from? And that's actually quite a hard question to answer, and philosophers have debated it for generations. But as Christians, we have an answer. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So this is the first of a a series of, of three talks looking at dignity, then equality, and then identity. I think I'm booked to do my next one in March. And some of this morning I'll be talking, and then we'll have a couple of times, if we have time, for some discussion. And we'll have three short points. We'll start with dignity given, and then dignity denied, and then dignity restored. So, point number one, dignity given. We've said that every human has an inherent dignity. The UN have said that as well. But we still haven't quite established what dignity is. I read this week that Someone said that the concept of dignity remains elusive and largely descriptive. It defies definition. Part of the problem is is dignity isn't really a biblical word. Like Trinity, it's the the word dignity is a helpful word. It, It captures biblical teaching, it distills it down. But unlike Trinity, that the word dignity has been used in different ways by different people over time. So in ages gone by, dignity was all about behavior. Some people were dignified in the way they carried themselves and acted in their demeanor, demeanor and, and some weren't. So dignity carried the idea of a, a solemnity, a seriousness, an unflappableness in the face of opposition. And we sometimes still use dignity in that way. We'll talk about something being undignified, particularly unbecoming behavior. Another way dignity is sometimes talked about is your value to society. Philosopher Thomas Hobbes in the 17th century said, human dignity, the public worth of a man, is the value set on him by the commonwealth. And we'll still sometimes talk, again, about dignitaries. And and what's a dignitary? It's a particularly highly esteemed guest, more valued than the others. So dignity can be about behavior. It can be kind of your value, your position in society. And, And when you use dignity in that way, you're talking about a dignity that is dependent on the beliefs or desires or preferences or interests or expectations of others. But that's not the type of dignity that we're talking about this morning. There's another type of dignity, and that's the dignity that the UN is talking about in its Declaration of Human Rights. This is intrinsic dignity, the value that comes from simply being human. 
All human beings are born equal in dignity. And as Christians, that's what we're talking about when it comes to human dignity. It is a gift from the God who made us. It's the the value that each and every one of us has, and it comes from the unique way that we've been made by God. So I know we, we cover some of this stuff in other talks I've done. We, we do come back to it a lot, at care, all this image of God stuff. But let's start in Genesis 2, verse 7. The, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So the first component that makes us what we are is, is simply dust. You are dust, to dust you shall return. And being made from dust, that, that's not the special part, is it? We, you share 50% of your DNA with an oak tree. 98% with, with a chimpanzee. You see, we're made from the, the same building blocks as everything around us. But there's something different about us, isn't there? There's something more about humanity. We're not just dust. We're made in the image of God. So God has done something different in in the way he made us. And just a few verses earlier, at the end of Genesis 1, we we know God had made the whole world. He had seen that it was good, seen that it was good, it was good, it was good. But then in Genesis 1.27, we have the, the pinnacle of God's creative work when God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and so on. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And that there is what gives every human being a dignity and a value that cannot be stripped away. So this is where dignity comes from. And we can contrast that with a a secular view. So Peter Singer is a highly influential modern-day philosopher, and his thinking influences much of medical ethics today. And where does he think dignity comes from? He says, what confers dignity on human life, I believe, is our status as autonomous, self-aware beings with rich inner lives. But that causes a problem, doesn't it? Because what about humans who are not autonomous? because they're in the mother's womb, or because they're tiny infants dependent on their parents, or because they're so old and frail that they can no longer look after themselves. In Peter Singer's world, they're less valuable, less dignified. Or he says, we're self-aware beings with rich inner lives. What if we don't have particularly rich lives? Singer would argue that someone in a permanent coma has less value than someone fit and and physically active. And at one level you think, well, maybe that makes sense, but then you realize what happens is it creates a a sliding scale of of dignity and value where we're constantly moving up and down depending on our capacity. And, And you could use his logic, and in fact he does use this logic, to argue that sometimes humans can be worth less than animals. Because if a dog is is more autonomous has a more of a self-aware being, has a richer life than what he would describe as a severely defective infant child, in his view that the dog becomes worth more. And he comes to the conclusion that 
to give preference to the life of a being simply because it's a member of our species puts us in the same position as racists who gives preference to those who are members of the same race. Not racism, but speciesism, which is a strange word to say. But for Christians, it's different. We say the dignity of every human resides not in what you can do, or how capable you are, or how developed your brain cortex is, or how deteriorated it is, but your dignity comes in what God has made you to be. The moment God creates you, he says, this creature is made in my image. And in that moment, he assigns eternal significance and value to what would otherwise be dust. G.K. Chesterton wrote, People are equal in the same way pennies are equal. Some are bright, others are dull. Some are worn smooth, others are sharp and fresh. But all are equal in value, for each penny bears the image of the sovereign. And each person bears the image of the King of Kings. So we are all dignified dust. That's, That's dignity given, but that's not the whole story on dignity. So our second point then is dignity denied. We're not still living in the garden. Something happened, something terrible. Adam and Eve, they sinned, they rebelled against God. And if you think of being made in the image of God, we've used this picture before as as reflecting God's glory like a wonderful mirror. In that moment, they, they took a hammer to the mirror and smashed it into a thousand pieces. But praise God, terrible though that moment was, that doesn't remove our human dignity. We're still made in the image of God. The the pieces of the mirror, the shards, they're still there. And this is confirmed a few chapters later, Genesis 9, when, when God institutes the punishment for murder. He says, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So the image of God still there. And paradoxically, paradoxically, because life is so precious, under the old covenant, only capital punishment was sufficient retribution for the unauthorized taking of human life. And even to the New Testament, the image of God is still there. James 3, that, that famous chapter about the tongue, he writes, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. So humanity still made in God's image. So people sometimes talk about losing their dignity or being stripped of their dignity, but that's using dignity in the, in the other sense, in you know, the dignity of behavior. But our intrinsic dignity, our God-given value, that remains. Even Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden didn't take away that dignity, doesn't remove the image of God from them, then nothing can. We can deny our dignity by the way we act, but the dignity's not removed. That's what Adam and Eve did. They acted as if they were not made in the image of God. So in that moment, they're denying their dignity, but they're not removing it. It's what the prodigal son did. He he dehumanized himself in his actions. He's denying he's different from the animals, but, but he is still inherently valuable to God. And every time we sin, we do the same. We deny our God-given dignity, but we don't lose it. But also we deny dignity in others 
by the way we treat them. So let's ramp up to discussion time. Um, we can deny dignity in others by the way we treat them. So what I'd love to do is take two to three minutes now in our groups and take some dis discussion time to think about this. What are some ways that people deny dignity in others by the way they treat them? What are some ways we, we don't treat all people as being made in the image of God? And as we have a, this discussion time, I want to encourage you to think beyond simply beginning and end of life issues, because that is an obvious answer. What are other ways, <coughs> as 21st society, we tend towards denying dignity in, in certain groups or certain individuals? Okay, let's kind of wrap that up, that section. And anyone want to shout out a couple of answers? What are some ways that people deny dignity in others by the way they treat them? Ignoring them. Ignoring them. Can you expand on that? Uh, just behaving as if someone doesn't really exist or isn't worth your time and attention. Yeah. So, their dignity. so behaving, as if, behaving as if someone doesn't exist or isn't worthy of your attention. It's, it's, it's denying their God-given dignity in that moment, isn't it? Anyone else? Yes. Yeah. I, I remember, if you remember our dear brother, Paul Devere, who died some time ago, he was heavily disabled. But with his first wife, Ella, I, 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 my wife and I, we, we all went to a concert in, in Dorking one night, and uh, the lady usher, when wanting to find the right place for Paul, she addressed herself to his wife. Does he this or does he that? And Ella said, look, ask him. Now, he was a very intelligent man, very alert and very, with so many things. And, and yet, because he was in that chair, he was considered, you know, like you might ask, does your dog like this or does your cat like this? It was, um, she didn't mean any harm by it, but it, it just happened automatically. Yeah, that's a really good example. Hey, anyone else? Should we go for one more? Sophie. Um, oh, sorry, no, not Sophie, because you're my wife, aren't I? Yes. <laughs> Social media. Social media. I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> but wasn't it better not coming from you? <laughs> Have I just treated you with less dignity? Yeah. Social media, tell me more about social media. Uh, Laurie just reminded us about social media, how, how you can be um, assassinated so easily and so widely. And, um, it's just rampant, it's everywhere. Yeah. Let us continue. Thank you all for your contributions there. That's helpful. Um, so then I'll just add a few. Any form of racism. Um, it's George Floyd there. That's treating one group of people as if they're worth less than another. Um, abortion, I've mentioned, is, is a way of treating the, the unborn child as worth less because of their stage of development. And then at the other end of life, it's, uh, it's a question of assisted suicide, which we've looked at separately. Crime and, and wrongdoing deny human dignity because every crime is saying to someone, your rights are worth less than mine, you're worth less than me. And even down to, to poverty, it's not only in the way we treat the people who are poor, do we treat them with the same value, 
as those who are rich. You know, Book of James talks about, suppose uh, someone comes into your, your church meeting wearing a gold ring and flying clothes and you say, oh, come and sit here, have a seat of dignity. And then someone else comes, uh, a poor man comes in, he said, oh, you sit there on the floor. What you're doing there, according to James, is discriminating and becoming judges with evil thoughts. So in poverty, if you treat people of different economic status differently, that's denying their dignity. But even more, I think... Poverty itself is an assault on human dignity. To have someone made in the image of God, reflecting God's glory and majesty by their simple existence, living in poverty, that's one of the outrages of this world. So, so back to the Declaration of Human Rights. All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. Christians have more reason to affirm and celebrate this truth than anyone else. But as we look around, just in five minutes we've come up with a few examples of the way sin and death have had an effect on our dignity. And we mourn because at every stage, everywhere we look, dignity is denied. We haven't acted as those made in the image of God. We haven't treated others as those made in the image of God. But that's not the end of the story. When it comes to the biblical idea of dignity, we've Got this Bible narrative, haven't we? We start with dignity given, everything was very good, and then dignity denied, which is what happens with the fall, but that's not the end of our story. And our third point then is dignity restored. Now before we come to a, a final discussion time with some ideas, we mustn't forget that the next step in the Bible story is that Christ restores our dignity. That's his job. We're made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. He's not in the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. And his mission, one way to put it, is he came to restore what was broken. So if the image of God in us is what is broken and we still reflect him, but just not the way we're supposed to, Jesus came to fix that. He, he came as one of us. He he died for us, he, he sends his spirit to fill us, and then by his spirit, he's remaking us. So he's lovingly picking up each piece of the broken mirror and mending it and cleaning it and putting it back in its proper place, using all of life's circumstances, all ordained by him, to, a, to achieve this glorious purpose, which is Romans 8.29. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he's making us <coughs> like him. And this is a great distinction between the Christian worldview and the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Because the UN Declaration doesn't give us dignity. It, it describes what we already have. And then it uses basically the political influence of being the UN, whatever that might mean, to try and bring that dignity across the world. But in Christ, we have this dignity. And then Christ doesn't just tell us what we are, or what we could be, or what we should be, or what we'll never be, but he offers, through Christ, by his Spirit, he, he offers to remake us into what we long to be. And that's the work of a lifetime, but it will be fully completed when we see him face to face. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. So that's our future, that's our trajectory. But in the meantime, the, the truths about dignity we've seen this morning, they shape our present as well, not just our future. We don't just wait for well, Christ, you, you sort out dignity, we'll just get on with life. 
Now we work to uphold and honour the dignity of others. So final discussion question, what can we do to respect, restore and defend the dignity of others? Do that for two minutes. What can we do to respect, respect restore and defend the dignity of others? Okay. Um, we've got time for one answer. What can we do to respect, restore and defend the dignity of others? Who wants to be the one? Yes. Uh, I would say that um, one of the things I find really challenging is to see others as Christ sees them. So if I can become better at viewing everybody else as being beautiful creations in the image of God, that's going to help me uh, to understand people more, to respect pe people more, to get less irritated towards people, not to write people off. So yeah, that's, that's what I felt would be quite a big step. Yeah, that's really helpful. So see people as made in the image of God, see people as Christ sees them, and that will help you to treat them with dignity and, and see everyone that way, isn't it? Not just people who are like us. Yeah. But see everyone, even the people we disagree with most. Yeah. Um, well, I hope you found some, some helpful points in there, some interesting things. That's the, the Bible story about human dignity, <coughs> dignity given, then denied, but then in God's goodness, restored.